Exodus 34, and uh, really the key text that I'd like to draw your attention to here this morning is Exodus 34, verse 14. Uh, in any, mo- any relationship, the more time that you spend with someone and the more you listen to that person talk, the more you get to know them. And as that happens, you often learn things about people that you didn't expect. I mean, even in marriage, you could be several years in and think, really, I, had, I just had no idea that you thought that or uh, felt that way or something like that. Things could surprise you. And that's also true, I think, as we get to know God better and we listen to him speak in the pages of his word. And, uh, many people have given very little thought to the fact that God is intensely jealous We preach and we speak often of things like God's goodness, His power, His holiness, His love, His righteousness, His justice, His mercy, and so on. And we should certainly do that because God is all of those things. But which one of you has ever heard a sermon on God's jealousy? Perhaps you have. I'd imagine those sermons are much less common. And while it may be one of God's, uh, maybe we could say like fringe attributes in our minds, ones that we don't, one that we don't think of that much, it's actually mentioned in nearly 40 separate passages, primarily in the Old Testament. And I think as we look at God's word, we should walk away being greatly impressed that we should praise God today because he is a jealous God. Uh, hopefully you're there in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. Here's what we read there in that verse. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. I'd like to make several observations this morning about God and his jealousy. And the first observation is really just to state that idea that God is a jealous God. Uh, We see this verse in Exodus 34 verse 14, the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Uh, Jealous is his name. Meaning that it's one of his defining characteristics. Uh, One theologian stated that rightly understood the idea of jealousy is central to any true concept of God. And so we go, okay. Well then in what sense is God jealous? Because that's a very uncomfortable word for most of us. The Old Testament root word for jealousy is actually a, a morally neutral word. It's not good, it's not bad. It's morally neutral. Uh, You could think in your mind, as you think of the word, think zeal. And someone being zealous for something. And then the morality of the word or this idea of zeal is determined by the context in which it's used or displayed. It's often used to describe zeal for things that belong either to you, to yourself, or to somebody else. Uh, Things like property, possessions, position, Uh, prosperity, abilities, all those sorts of things. So maybe we can start by asking, okay, well, what would you call zeal for something that belongs to another person? Well, uh, if we think of that negatively, like in a bad way, probably one of the words that comes to our mind is envy. And this is certainly jealousy or zeal that is morally wrong. It's not good. For example, uh, the word first shows up. One of the first places this word shows up in the Bible is Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. And it says, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister, Leah, who was having all these kids. Okay, well, if zeal for something that belongs to another in the bad sense is called envy, what would you call zeal for something that belongs to you or to self? Maybe we could call that jealousy. Is it sinful? Well, let me give you a few examples. Maybe a child says, that's my toy, and pulls it away. Or 
Maybe you're driving into the grocery store. It's a really busy day and you're waiting there. It's Costco, by the way. Like, and you've got, you found this awesome parking space up at the front and you're waiting. You even turned your blinker on, like really professional driver. You're just waiting for this person to back out, get out of that spot. But they turn the wrong way and somebody comes down the aisle the other way and just whips into your spot and you go, oh, that's my spot. I can't believe you took it. You stole it. I think we know that more often than not, human jealousy or zeal is sinful. And it's often loaded with things like selfishness and pride, sinful anger, envy, and even sometimes just a sense of vindictiveness. But what about these type of examples? Are they wrong? Maybe. Maybe not. What about the self-employed contractor who brings another subcontractor in to work with him on the same job and he says to him, hey, how you do your job, how you do your work, working with me really matters. Okay, you got to do a good job. you got to relate to customers the right way. Why? Well, that's my reputation we're talking about. This is how I feed my family. This is my livelihood. Or what about the husband who says, hey, that's my wife. Back off. Or the father, that is, that is my child. Don't you dare hurt him or her. What if in those cases, the person actually wasn't jealous? The contractor's like, hey, you want to ruin my business? Sure, okay, I don't care. Or the husband, you want to make a move on my wife? Not a big deal, I'll share. Or father, you want to abuse my child? I don't care. I mean, can you imagine? Something would be wrong. It's possible to be zealous for the right things the right way. To have deep longings for the right things and to passionately protect and defend those things. Uh, We might even say jealously. God is a jealous God. There is a fascinating account of a person in the Old Testament who demonstrates an appropriate form of jealousy. His name is Phineas. Maybe you remember this story from Numbers. It begins in chapter 25 verses 1 to 3. And it's recorded there that Israel began to whore with the daughters of Moab, ate and bowed down to their gods, yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. This is not a good scenario. And God tells Moses to start executing people. People are dying as a result of this. And as all this is going on, this man Phineas sees an Israelite take a Midianite woman into his tent. And Numbers 25, 7 to 8 says that when Phineas saw it, he rose, he took a spear in his hand, and he went into the chamber and pierced both of them. The man of Israel and the woman threw her belly. And then the text says that the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. And you're like, well, truth is stranger than fiction. The Bible is crazy. And then in Numbers 25, verse 11, here's how God uh, summarized all this. God said, Phineas has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. And then note what this next phrase says. In that he was zealous with my jealousy. Or he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Now, as crazy as that whole story is, in the context of the Old Testament covenant, what Phineas did was actually okay. And not only just okay, but good. So apparently, not all jealousy is bad. There's a good form of it. And God is a jealous God. A second observation about God and His jealousy is that God's jealousy, to kind of continue the thought, is righteous. It's appropriate or right for God to be jealous. 
Um, it's absolutely appropriate. Why? Well, God is jealous about the right things. And He is jealous about the right things the right way. And we might even go so far as to say He has a right to be. There are things that rightfully belong to the Lord and that He is zealous for and that He passionately defends. And in fact, He would be wrong not to be jealous about those things. Speaking of God's jealousy, um, one writer observed, it cannot refer to or imply anything sinful in God. He is a holy God and is never sinfully jealous. He is never jealous because he is needy, greedy, or covetous, or because he is lazy and unwilling to put forth the effort necessary to accomplish his purposes. God is not jealous because he takes a petty dislike to certain individuals and begrudges their achievements, or because he's frustrated with his position in the universe. Such subject, suggestions are absurd. God's jealousy is righteous. And the kind of, this kind of righteous or godly jealousy does exist. In fact, in the New Testament, uh, Paul demonstrated it. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, For I feel a divine jealousy for you. The, the kind of jealousy I feel for you is, is a jealousy that's like God's jealousy. And Paul continues, Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, there is a godly form of jealousy. And I think it's just so important that at the outset we get that in our head, that God is jealous and his jealousy is righteous. The third observation, God's jealousy is focused. It's not just about anything and everything. But God's jealousy is focused on two treasured objects. What is it that God's jealous for? What is it that stirs up his jealousy? Well, I think we could summarize it this way, that God is jealous for his glory. And God is jealous for his people. Other things are mentioned, like God is jealous for the land of Israel. But God's glory and his people seem to be primary. I think if you thought of God this way, if you thought of God as a husband king, he is simultaneously a husband and he is simultaneously a king. And as such, he is jealous for his glory. He's jealous for his throne, his sovereignty, his name, his reputation, his dominion, his worship, his glory, we might say. And number two, he's jealous for his bride. He cares about his people's faithfulness and their loyalty to him and also for his people's well-being. These are his treasures. We might say that God treasures his people. And this is the jealousy of a husband. And we first encounter it, uh, God's jealousy at Mount Sinai and the making and renewing of the Old Testament covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And God takes a very special people that he has chosen. Not because they're very special or they're really strong or mighty or anything like that, but he has set his affection on a certain group of people, the Israelites. And he takes a special group of, it, of, pe of people to himself. And there at Mount Sinai, vows and covenant promises are being made in both directions and exchanged. And basically the idea is that, that th these are his people. And simultaneously, he is their God. And in Exodus 20, verse 5, when this is all happening, when, when the covenant is being made and the Ten Commandments are being given and, and these exchanges of promises are being made, God says this. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. And he's speaking about other gods, the gods of the nations, other lovers, you might say. 
You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, I am a jealous God. And then the covenant, that same covenant, ends up being renewed in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. And would you believe it? It's after the golden calf incident. We're only a few chapters into this covenant being made. And Israel's like, hey, how about we bow down before this false god, (laughs) a golden calf? And God in his mercy renews the covenant with them and says this in Exodus 34, verse 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. God's jealousy must be understood in the context of the covenant. Like a marriage covenant. And God is depicted as Israel's husband. In fact, you see that kind of traced throughout the Old Testament and the prophets and such. And he's a jealous God. And idolatry, worshiping any other God, therefore, becomes, in the context of a covenant, it it becomes like spiritual adultery. In the Old Testament covenant, the Old Covenant, physical adultery uh, deserved death, we read. And what seems to be implied is the idea that spiritual adultery in this covenant with God, abandoning God for other gods, that also would deserve death. God treasures his people. He treasures his bride. Meaning that God is jealous for his people's faithfulness. He's jealous for your fidelity to him. Six passages, six of the passages about God's jealousy are found in the book of Deuteronomy. And all six warn Israel about breaking this special covenant that they have made with their God. And being unfaithful to him and the vows that they had made to him. Uh, Namely, by going after and worshiping other gods. Uh, Consider Deuteronomy chapter 4. You can turn there if you want. Uh, Verses 23 and 24. Uh, We'll look at a couple passages here in Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 4, 23 and 24. (coughs) Just capturing some of the big themes of the verse here. We read, take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. Be really careful that your vows that you've made to God as his covenant people, that you don't forget those. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God and make a carved image. Verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. And then if you skip down to chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. You shall not go after other gods. You just see this idolatry theme again and again and again. You shall not do this. Verse 15. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. And as you you just keep tracing this theme all the way from Genesis uh, through the Pentateuch and uh, through the the historical books like 1 and 2 Kings and even along through the Psalms, uh, all those books more or less speak of God's jealousy this way. The same way. And they relate it to sin. And they relate it to the the broken covenant. And to idolatry. And abandoning and being unfaithful to God. God is jealous for his people's faithfulness. But it's important to understand that God is also jealous for um, his people's well-being. And as you think about a husband who truly loves his wife, that would be the case. A husband who would say, I want what is best for this woman because I love her. And that is God towards his people. And we see this this theme, this aspect of God's jealousy just start to emerge and emerge in the prophets. 
After God had graciously sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his people, basically saying, repent, turn back to your God, the one who you made a covenant with. And they wouldn't repent. They're just an unfaithful bride. God ends up chastening her. And he does that by sending Assyria and Babylon against Israel and Judah for their idolatry, for their spiritual whoredom. I mean, it has just been so bad. And those other nations took the land. They destroyed Jerusalem's walls. They destroyed the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon carted Israelites off to Babylon where they would spend 70 years in captivity. Where God's bride would suffer there. 70 years. And in that context, Asaph penned these words in Psalm 79 verse 5. He just asked, how long, O Lord? Will you be angry forever? I mean, in 70 years, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? And what God was doing was jealously chastening his people for their unfaithfulness to him and bringing them back. But don't misunderstand. While all this is going on and God's allowing these difficult things in their life and this chastening, God still zealously loved his bride. And in heaven, he's burning with a passion for them and saying, these are my people. And it will be his zeal and jealousy for them that actually spares a remnant of the Jewish people and sends the Messiah and delivers them from their slavery and bondage and defends them and ruthlessly deals with those nations who dared to rise up against them and defile them and hurt them and abuse his bride. And I just want to show you some of of, uh, those themes of God's jealousy in the prophets. Isaiah 9 verse 7. I think you'll know this first because it's about the Messiah. Of the increase of his, the Messiah's government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then it says this, for the zeal or, or the jealousy we might say of the Lord of hosts will do this. God in his zeal will send his Messiah and his Messiah will save and triumph and win. Isaiah 26 verse 11. Oh Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people. Your zeal for your people. Your jealousy for your people. And be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. In Isaiah 37, 32, For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah 42, 13, The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a mighty man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. And the idea there, God in his zeal and passion for his people is destroying his foes and the foes of Israel. Ezekiel 36, 5 to 6. God's zeal is burning against the nation of Edom, Edom for how they have wronged Israel, God's bride. And in zeal, God steps in to defend his precious bride. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom. And here's why God is so jealous. Here's why his zeal is burning for his people. 
Because Edom has done this. It says, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and utter contempt that they might make its pasture land to pray. How dare you do that to my land? Verse 6, therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, God says to his prophet, and say to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines and valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. God is going to war and jealousy against those who have wronged his people. God treasures his people. He is jealous for their faithfulness and their well-being. He absolutely loves that. And in connection with that, God is jealous for his glory and his throne. And this is the jealousy of a king. I I said you could think of God as a husband king. And scripture depicts him both ways. He is the one and only true king. There is no other. He is jealous for his throne. He is jealous for his sovereignty. He is jealous for his crown. His kingdom, his land, his people, his reputation, his, his name, his worship, all of that. He treasures his glory. The Bible specifically says that God is jealous for his holy name, his reputation. Uh, Consider Ezekiel 39, 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will be jealous for my holy name. Here is the king. And he sits on his throne. He will have no rivals. He will be, uh, he is jealous for his worship and his glory and all of that. He's jealous for his holy name and reputation. And God is jealous for all worship. Consider 1 Kings 14, 21 to 24. Uh, Rehoboam is the king. And as you know, with the story of the kings, I mean, most of them were wicked and all sorts of abominations were happening in their reigns. And we read there in 1 Kings 14, 21 that Rehoboam reigned in Jerusalem. And notice how Jerusalem is described. It's described as the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. This is my city. And I'm going to put my name here. This is my place. Verse 22 says, And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What is happening in God's holy city? Well, they provoked him to jealousy. With what? The sins that they committed? More than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. God's holy city. Where he had put his name is the name of false gods. And and God's holy people, his bride, they're all bowing down and worshiping these false gods under every green tree. Male cult prostitutes in the land and they did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And God is saying, "I, I am jealous for all worship. This is my city. These are my people and no other God will be worshiped. When Charles Spurgeon preached on the jealousy of God, he said that false gods patiently endure the existence of other false gods. Not a problem, right? Dagon can stand with Bel and Bel with Ashtaroth. Those two gods, they're quite happy side by side. How should stone and wood and silver be moved to indignation, Spurgeon writes. But because God is the only living and true God, Dagon must fall before his ark. Do you remember that story? The Ark of the Covenant goes into the same place that Dagon's at and he falls flat on his face in the morning. The bell must be broken. Ashtaroth must be consumed with fire. Thus says the Lord, you shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves. The idols you shall utterly abolish, God says. There will be no rival. 
in the land. You will worship me and me alone. Spurgeon continues, can you put yourself in God's place for a moment? Suppose that you made the heavens and you made the earth. And all the creatures that inhabit this round globe, how would you feel if those creatures should set up an image of wood or brass or gold and cry, these are the gods that made us. These give us life. God is not okay with that. God will not tolerate that. God's jealousy is focused on two treasured objects, his glory and his people. He is a husband, the husband king. A fourth observation. God then is, God's jealousy is then provoked by any sin that touches his treasure. It's provoked by any sin that would touch his glory and his name and his reputation that would uh, try to rival his throne and his crown and his worship or, or, or touch his people, cause them to sin or turn them away. Nothing in the Old Testament, uh, that there was nothing in the Old Testament that touched God's greatest treasures, his glory and his people like idolatry. Nothing. And the same is true today. There is nothing that touches what God is jealous for, like false worship and idolatry. Listen to these verses and listen for what it was that stirred God to jealousy. Deuteronomy 32.16 says that they stirred him to jealousy with what? With strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. This is Deuteronomy 32 verse 21. They have made me jealous, God says. With what? With what is no God? They have provoked me to anger. With what? Their idols. This is 1 Kings 14.22. Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy. With what? Their sins that they committed. And Psalm 78 verse 58 says they provoked him to anger. With what? With their high places. They moved him to jealousy again with what? Their idols. God's jealousy is provoked by any sin that would dare touch his treasure. God says, you touch my glory, you touch my crown, you touch my throne, and my jealousy will be stirred. You touch my people, or my people become unfaithful, and my jealousy will be stirred for my bride. Nothing touches God's treasures like idolatry. When people dethrone him, an adulterous or try to and adulterously worship someone or something in place of him. He is the husband king. Number five, a fifth observation: God's jealousy. How do we see it shown? Well, it is shown in all kinds of ways. What have we seen God's jealousy doing? Well, um, I've read several verses. We've seen God's jealousy devouring, just consuming things, and and destroying things. We've also seen God's jealousy disciplining His people. And we've also seen it delivering them. God's jealousy devours and it destroys. It's often seen, as you look at the 40 or so passages that I mentioned, God's jealousy is often, and I mean very often, seen side by side as anger and words like fury and wrath. And it's often revealed through literal or metaphorical fire. That's the language surrounding this theme. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 6.15, Israel is warned against idolatry, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled. I mean, again, you just have this, this language of fire. 
Lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. Twice, Zephaniah speaks of God judging the nations in the fire of his jealousy. For their rejection of him and how they harmed his bride. Zephaniah 1.18 Neither their silver nor their gold, speaking of the nations, shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. And then Zephaniah 3 verse 8. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to bring them all together, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. God's jealousy devours and destroys, but it also disciplines. Remember his people, his bride, and how they rejected him. In Psalm 79, verse 5, Asaph makes this statement about God's disciplining his people through the exile and Babylonian captivity. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? God's jealousy drives him to discipline his people. And it also drives him to to deliver them. As a husband king, God is jealous for the affections of his bride and for her worship and for her well-being. You may recall the book of Joel, the context for all that's a locust plague that just went through the land of Israel and ravished the entire land, decimated the economy, uh, all because of Israel's sins. But Israel repented. And Joel 2 verse 18 says that the Lord God became jealous for his land. His bride, his people repented and now God's becoming jealous for his land. And it says, uh, basically in parallel with that idea, then the Lord became jealous for his land and he had pity on his people. God's jealousy delivers. Zechariah speaks of how God will bless and deliver his people and judge the nations in his wrath. This is Zechariah 8 verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy. That city, that Jerusalem, that is my city. And I am jealous for her with great wrath. And God's destroying nations for how they've touched God's people. God's jealousy is shown in many ways. And finally, in summary, a sixth observation. God's jealousy, it's described as a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And if you just kind of highlight the two ideas of of that picture, God's burning jealousy is a great threat. I mean, put yourself in the place of the nations and you touch God's bride and you think you're safe from the jealousy of the husband who is the king of all the earth. God's jealousy is a great threat. And yet on the flip side of that, we could say, or God's jealousy is a great, great comfort. To know that this great husband king, like with the nation of Israel, this is not just some foreign God out there. This is our husband. This is our king. We've entered into a covenant with him. He belongs to us. The warrior king who is jealous for his bride. God is a consuming fire. With the remainder of our time, I just want to try to make some applications here. If you sit here and you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not a Christian, maybe you you know that. You know that God's jealous eyes are looking at you? And He looks at you and He says, that 
You are my creation. I made you. I fashioned you. He made you for himself. And he sees your sin. He sees your rejection of him. And yet the Bible would even go so far as to just keep highlighting what God's jealousy would do for all of us, even as rebels. God in his jealous love has sent his son to die and to buy you back for himself. You are my creation. And I want to have you for myself. I want to have your worship. I want to have your affection. I want to have your thoughts and attention and all of that. Because I love you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you in jealous love. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to, him to be the Lord and King of your life. And he is jealous for your worship. Uh, if you have trusted Christ, just think about this theme of God's jealousy. Your union with Jesus impacts how God's jealousy towards you is displayed. Uh, you and I are like Israel. You think about how we live our lives. It's like, yeah, we read about Israel and we read about all that idol worship. But truth be told, we're, we're really not that much different from them. An unfaithful wife, wicked idolaters. And what we really deserve is for God to discard us, to devour us, for, us, for him to destroy us and be done with us. And yet God has unleashed his jealousy upon us. And fiery wrath and fury, the, the very thing that we see associated with God's jealousy, God's jealousy toward us drove God to pour out his fiery, the wrathful side of his jealousy on Jesus Christ in our place. He jealously loves you. I mean, this whole theme of God's jealousy, if you can take that theme and you look at Christ on the cross and you see God's jealousy being unleashed on Jesus Christ, because of his jealousy for you. This is amazing. God loves you. And while we trace this theme really through the Old Testament, as a New Testament Christian, God is jealous for your worship and affections too. This wasn't just Old Testament Israel. And there aren't very many verses in the New Testament, but they just kind of go back at the same theme that God is jealous for his bride. And what that means is that God does want your worship on Sunday. I mean, that is his day to be worshipped. He wants it then and he wants it on every other day of the week. And you could sit here and you could have idols that are provoking God to jealousy today. Uh, perhaps you sit here and you've made an idol. You made an idol out of your house. Uh, you made an idol out of your job or career. Maybe you've made an idol out of a skill, a passion, or a hobby, and you have elevated that thing on a throne. And God has been stripped down, at least in your heart. Or perhaps you've made an idol out of a person. A child or a spouse occupies more love in your heart than Christ does and impacts your decisions and what you do, and Christ doesn't. You know, something like this could even show up in the context of grief. Because you could sorrow in a way that would actually provoke the Lord to jealous anger because you act as if the person that has passed or the friendship that has been lost or whatever the case is, is, is more precious to you than God himself. And your grief is consuming because God is not on his throne. Some other person, some other relationship was elevated to that sacred place. God is a jealous God, and it doesn't matter what realm of life you're talking about. God will have no rivals. 
Or perhaps you refuse to bow before God's sovereignty and his throne. From God's throne, he rules and he reigns and he has a law of his land and of his kingdom. And it's a good law and it's for your good. And on that throne, he has the right to rule as he wills. And every time you and I sin, you know what we're doing? We're making a direct assault on that throne and the king's laws. And deciding, hey, you know what? My ways of living are better than the king's laws. And I'm going to do that and I will have my sin and I will choose it and I will love it and I will rebel. Your sin attacks God's sovereignty and he is a jealous, jealous God. When you refuse to accept what he allots you, God and his sovereignty and his providence says, this person right here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them this hardship. Or my child here, I'm going to allow this, this trial to come their way. And his sovereignty, he, doing that from his throne. And when you refuse to accept the trials, the pain, the difficulty, that is an assault against the king. And God is a jealous God. I will be the king and I want you to worship me. Perhaps you've robbed God of his glory in some way or or attacked it through self-glory or congratulating yourself. Anytime we do that, it always, uh, when you take credit for something that happened, something that God did, some way that he used you, that's something God deserves glory for. He's jealous for his name and his reputation. And you're, you're taking all that? Look what I've done in life, in ministry, in my family, in my job, in this place or that realm or whatever, in my hobby, in my space, in my career. Look at me. God says, don't you realize I am the king. And everything that you've done, everything that you've accomplished, it's all been through me. This is my name and my reputation on the line. And you've, you've taken all that for you? God is a jealous God. Accusing God of wrong robs him of his glory. You're marring his glorious character. God, how dare you? You shouldn't have done this. God is a jealous God. He wants us to accept his sovereignty and our trials and difficulties and all that space. I think as we look at this theme, we should also expect, you should expect, I should expect, that if you touch what God treasures, and you're living a life of idolatry, or you're being unfaithful to him as his child, and you're or you're dethroning him, or anything like that, that God is an idol crusher and he will have no rivals and he will chasten you. And we see that in the prophets with Israel. No, God, we'd rather worship other gods. We'd rather have our sin. We'd rather do this. We'd rather have that. And the jealousy of a husband coming after his people, actually chastening them. God will do that for you. And it's not because he just hates you and wants to destroy you. It's actually he loves you. And wants to bring you back to a sweet, faithful relationship with him. And I think we've probably all been there. We've elevated something way up here. And God came in and and his jealousy just crushed and destroyed our idols. Ripped them down. God will have no rivals. And I think maybe to end with, with a very, very comforting thought. As a Christian, you can rest in God's protection and care for you.
God is jealous for your well-being. Remember, if you are his people, you are, we might say, his bride. And whoever touches God's people, whoever touches God's bride, will not go unpunished. In fact, I think it's Proverbs that talks about this, that that if you touch another man's wife, what do you think you're going to get from that man? (laughs) It's not going to go well. And there's nothing you can do that's going to satisfy him. And when God's people are touched, when they are harmed, when they are wrong, every word spoken, every deed done, there's a jealous husband behind his people. And he will set everything right. Think about the wrongs that have been done to God's people over the ages. Dave was getting at this yesterday as he spoke about God's justice. God never just lets it go. God is a jealous God. His name is jealous and he will make it right. In fact, I I think we could even connect it to his own honor and glory, um, which, which God is jealous for. And if God is jealous for his honor and glory, then he cannot let his people be harmed and done wrong by and not deal with that. God's glory is wrapped up with the salvation of his people. God loves you. And finally, one more application. I think if, if we claim to be God's people, then we should be zealous for what God is zealous for. God's glory and God's people. Phineas was. He was jealous for what God was jealous for. Elijah was. Elijah says, actually in a moment of great depression, he says, God, I've been so jealous for you and your people and all of these things. And you and I can be jealous for what God is jealous for too. You can be jealous for God's glory. You can be jealous for God's people. You can love God's bride. You can love God's glory and and want your life to reflect Him and His greatness. And by God's grace, we can all do that. God should be praised today because He is a jealous, awesome God. Would you bow with me as I conclude us here in prayer?